0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This episode is with playwright Maggie Lee, and her play, A Hand of Talons, is opening on April 29th, running through May 21st at Theatre Off Jackson. It's produced by Pork Filled Productions. Get more information at porkfilled.com they will give you a link to Brown Paper Tickets. They're really committed to making the show accessible to everyone, so they have some discounted nights and a great deal where you can bring three of your friends on a double date as well. So check it out. I'm really excited to see this steampunk gangster play. Maggie Lee is incredible. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. As always... We're looking for donors, we're looking for sponsors. Please visit theatricalmustang.podbean.com. If you have a couple of bucks that you can donate, that will keep us going and make sure the podcast stays free for all listeners. So please enjoy episode 89 with Maggie Lee. I'm very excited to have a talented artist on the podcast today, 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 Maggie Lee is here! Hello! Hello! So the first time I experienced your work was as an actor, you were in uh, Do It For Emma at Annex Theatre and you were evil and fantastic. And the house it was sort of a, a show that sold out for annex, and I just wanted to get your two cents about being in that production and what that experience was like for you to kick, kick us off here uh,
1: so, so it's very interesting because it, it was actually my first acting gig since high school. Oh
0: wow
1: um, so because i I was, I was actually a failed actor in college, which is <laughs> how I started doing other things. Um, so I haven't really um, did any acting. I've done sketch comedy before with uh, Porkville Players where we wrote and um, acted in our own sketches. But it was not like a full-length play of like dramatic proportions. Right. Right. And so um, my friend, Ji Young-yum, Yim, is an incredibly talented playwright, uh, wrote this play. And I read it and I was like, oh. I was in the initial reading and I just... I was like, I this is a, this is so everything that is in my brain about being Korean and having this like turmoil and the rage and and so when they said they were gonna do it at Annex, she said, Oh, you should drop in this part and I was like, Oh, I haven't been in a play and you have to go to rehearsal like every day? Like what is that? I don't know. <laughs> and uh so it was really stressful. <laughs> so I was like, Okay, fine, well I'm just gonna do it and not worry about it and then it was so. It was such a great experience of like being an actor again and like experiencing that. And like I had a lot of rage going on in my life at the time, so it was great to like channel channel that into like being horrible and, yeah. and making out with people and like <laughs> killing people and you know all kinds of fun stuff. So I'm glad that it came through you, you for got to you, your alter ego. Yeah. And leather pants, which was yeah, my costumes are fabulous. Yeah. I was so excited to find those at Target. Fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks <laughs> yeah. at Target. Target so, boutique. Yeah. So that was so that was um, that was really great to have that experience be so powerful to be my first acting experience back on stage. And so I don't know I don't know if I wanna do it again because it was so <laughs> it was kind of like a lot, but yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, but that thank run. you. It was yeah. just
0: an uh, exceptional production. Uh, and
1: we had such a. The audience was amazing. Like we had no idea. We were like, oh well, maybe people will come. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and the, like people couldn't get in. It was just I, we, I couldn't. My brain was exploding. I couldn't even. <laughs> as a producer, too, you're just like, what?
0: How and do you and get some this? folks, uh, maybe who felt like they didn't have place for them written for them necessarily, and. Maybe some new theater comers that yeah. were coming out to check it yes. out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and you know they were making an effort because it's Capitol Hill and it's on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, and you gotta really like Go to make an effort. Staring. You gotta find the stairs and you gotta yeah. So um it was great. We really had a wonderful time. Right on, on. Yeah.
0: Well we're here to talk about a play that you've written.
1: Yes. Because for
0: Porkfield Productions, A Hand of Talons is opening April twenty ninth. Where did this show come from?
1: Okay, so this show is the third in a series of um, plays that are set in a steampunk alternate universe. And um, they are not sequels. and They're not direct, directly linked, but they are definitely in the same universe. And they, you, they reference some of the same events that happen. So this play is actually a prequel to the other two. And what, where it really stemmed from was um, uh, I was in this... I was in a writer's... I'm in the writer's group, uh, the cis writer's group, and we do a reading series every year. And so I was writing a play a year to try to just be like, I'm going to write a play a year. So I just was, like, trying to find inspiration. So the last play that I wrote was uh, The Tumbleweed Zephyr, which we produced last year at 12th Avenue Arts. And in that play, they reference this character... Wilhelmina Yao, who is this terrifying mob boss. (laughs) (laughs) Who everybody is just completely, like, they they don't even want to have any... Like, people are running away from her. And so, like, she's not on stage, and they just talk about her. And so I started thinking, oh, I wonder why she's so scary. And it's so interesting, like, this woman who's, like why is she so terrifying? what happened to her? And so this play is about how she transforms from a naive young girl into um, the, the head of the Yao clan. Wow. Yeah. So it's sort of uh, her, her origin story. So you're sort of <laughs>
0: answering a question that you asked in another play that you wrote. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So what, what is your writing process? Like, Do you sit down at the same time each day? Does it, uh, the deadline of a reading is sort of spurring you on? What What is that process I, for you?
1: I definitely need a deadline. I'm definitely, I'm not, I try to be the kind of person who's like, oh, I'm just going to do a little every day. Um, no, I need like a deadline and it has to be like midnight before and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I got to, people are going to be there. They're going to expect to hear something. And then I just have to like vomit it out and like get it out there and then and then it usually turns out to be fine so pressure is great for me
0: (laughs) i know i'm the same i'm the same way as a writer i need a deadline yeah how did the other two so how far apart were the productions of these three different plays uh
1: so the productions were uh we did clockwork professor which is uh, the first one in 2013 and then we took two years to do the next show which was the tumbleweed zephyr which was last year and then now we're do We just took a year this time and... Oh, we just took a year this time and um, to do A Hand of Talents. But when I wrote them, I wrote them, like, one a year. But this was, like, a while back. So I didn't just write them and then we produced them. They've been in the drawer for a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. It's been really... It's great because like But now I'm out of plays, is the thing. Because I, <laughs> I wrote the three and now I'm like... People are like, what's going to be next? I'm like, oh, and now I just start writing plays again. So... So I really want to, like, get uh, that in my brain for this year of writing a new play. So I need a deadline. Anybody give me a deadline? gonna give you a deadline? Yeah. I
0: love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so were you are you involved in the casting process? Like, how closely do you stay um, to the process of the play once, once you're done with the final draft?
1: Uh, well, with... Portfolio Productions. I'm also a producer, so um, oh. I really, so I do stay close with the um, casting and auditions. and And Amy and and I, Amy, who's the director, and is awesome. Uh, she and I have worked together on the other two plays, and so we're really like in sync in our brains about what we want to have for the show. And um, she's um, been really great working. She's done. Uh, oh my gosh! she's done three plays one that's not mine with portfolio productions and she's always been really great about the diverse casting that we have as our mission and um putting in the work that you need to do to make that happen because I think it's it's definitely some it's definitely work it's, we you put the you put the audition notice out and you try to get people interested and and it's really hard to get diverse actors to come in because they, for whatever reason, I mean, I think it's that thing of like, maybe they think, oh, I'm not going to get cast or they're just saying that because they, you know, want to check a box and they're like, no, we really want you to come in and like try out. And so you have to, you have to find them. You have to call them. You have to find a friend of a friend. You have to.
0: So you have a casting process, uh, a casting process. Uh- 51% yes. of your actors are diverse. Actors are actors of color. Of color. Yes, yeah.
1: we're try to. we we're trying to stick to that. Yes. I sure. love
0: that. That's fantastic. I think you just drawing that line in the sand is such an important thing because it's not an option, right? You're yeah. putting it right out there. Yeah. What have you found successful to try to get actors to come in for those calls?
1: Um, I think that one thing that is really helpful is that um, – Porkfield already has a lot of connections with the Asian-American theater community. So uh, people know that we're legit and they've worked with us before on right. other things. Um, the other thing is that now that the other two plays have been moderately successful, <laughs> um, people have gone out and seen them and they know what, what our deal is of like, oh, they actually have diverse casting and people don't have to be the names you know people's names don't mean anything in particular and you know you can have a you can have a Korean lady be a bandit or you can have you know an African American woman and a white woman be sisters and it's totally fine because this is like a steampunk you know alternate universe so we can make up our own rules and um, I think that having the other two plays out there as an example helps So actors
0: actors are able to see themselves (laughs) on stage uh, in any role instead of possibly a role that they might not want to take. I know that we were talking a little bit about that before we started recording, Mm -hmm. but what have you had feedback from actors who've been in your plays that it's been empowering to them to be any part in the show instead of maybe the maid or maybe the one, you know, I think I've heard from other actors that they just don't want to go out for those, yeah. you know, servant roles anymore. Yeah, because or the
1: convenience store owner
0: right. or whatever. They've sort of stereotypes yeah. that they get boxed into.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think, yeah, we have had people come and be, I mean, just going to rehearsal is great because they just, they just get to play yeah. and they get to like be creative in a way that is like not of this world. <laughs> So it's really freeing, I think, for them to, to be able to do that. I don't know. I think it is. But. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right on. Tell me about your cast. Um,
1: our cast uh, is, um, well, we have 51%, I think. <laughs> or 50%. Actually, it's 50% because there's only eight. But You can't, uh, you can't have a 1% of a person. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Somebody's a one. Somebody, um Uh, Yeah, it's great. We have um, Stephanie Kim Bryant is our lead, Willemian Yao. And she uh, is amazing. I don't know how else to... I'm in awe of her. And she's just, like, such a powerhouse. Because she needs to make this transformation through the play of, like, you know oh, I don't care about business, to, like, sure. I'm all business, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and she's scary, you know? And uh, Marie Kokita and um, uh, Sean Schroeder are playing her brother, uh, sister and brother. And then we have uh, Kenna Kettrick, who is playing a badass bodyguard, <laughs> because she is badass. And then we have um, Jen Razumna, who was in uh, Twelfth Story with Amy. Oh, great. Last, Yeah, yeah for the last show. And she is um, also badass. We have a lot of badass going on in this play. Sounds like it. <laughs> I don't know. It might be because you're a badass. Uh, my, I, don't, I don't know. If I, I, I'm trying to like channel something. Um, and then uh, our our dudes, we have uh, Ben <laughs> Burris and Tim Gagne and Abhijit Ran. and uh, they are our dudes, and they are less badass, but they're they're badassish. Well, I was thinking about the show this morning, and and the interesting thing about this play, I think, too, is that the role, the gender roles, are a little bit switched, where the women are really like driving the story, and that, and the men are kind of like, oh, and well, there's this one character, Lawrence, who's Wilhelmina's friend, and um, he's very like, I don't like violence. I just want to talk it out. Let's just let's just be reasonable. <laughs> And then every, all the women are like, let's go out and do the thing. And he's like, whoa, let's think about this for a minute. Whoa, whoa. let's be a little bit more thoughtful. Yeah. And so, and then I, I remember thinking, I heard the first reading and I was like, oh, he's kind of wimpy. Like, is that okay? And then I was like, no, it is okay because he's actually right. You know, like you should think about things and you should be thoughtful. And so, so it was a weird thing for me to be like, wait, is this okay for the man to be like, oh. I should just take a step back and like be reasonable and right and and it's just like an interesting switch for this play i think that we that i hadn't really planned out but it sort of showed up and and they're doing a great job of like sort of exploring that that uh, new take on it i guess awesome. it's a very like noir kind of story we're, we're calling it steampunk noir <laughs> what
0: what what draws you in about steampunk and about that aesthetic because you've spent three plays, yeah. the process of writing all of them, spending that time in that universe. What is it that draws you in about it?
1: Um, let's see. I, I think I like gadgets, for <laughs> sure. So anything with gadgets is fun. And also, uh, Amy and I have talked about this, but I have a specific way of writing where I have sort of a wordy... I have wordy text and it really lends itself well to the steampunk genre of the rhythm of the words and i don't know what it is but like most of my plays when i when people have read them they're like oh so these people are british right and i'm like no they're i don't know whatever they're fine you know but they're always like oh okay so we're gonna be british and i'm like no you don't have to be british i didn't write it british <laughs> it's just whatever and and so there's something about my, apparently, my writing style where it's, it comes off <laughs> as British. So, but we're very, like, when we do the steampunk plays, we're like, don't worry about being British. Like, no one has a British accent. Unless they happen to be British, which one guy was for a Professor. compressor. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that the language is fun to play with. And I, I I'm really into, like, world building. I think that's my... My playwright shtick is um I just like creating whole universes and mashing up little bits of things that I love into like a new a new thing mm-hmm. and like and being able to just like oh yeah, we're just gonna throw in whatever we want and like it'll make sense because these are all things that I love and so I'm gonna make one big giant love mess. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um on stage yeah
0: can you remember the first time when you were writing and you felt that success or accomplishment of creating a new world what hooked you on that
1: um yeah i think it was probably for the first clock for for clockwork the clockwork professor um because i i had written a play before and i was okay and then i i was like okay i really like this idea of this character of this this like scientist who is passionate but he's like reserved but he's he's kind of bumbly but he's kind of like cool and like it's just this like very classic sort of like mad mad scientist character in a way and so I was like how can I build this story around him and so the world sort of came from how from the character that I was thinking of and and then it turned out really cool. So, um, I, yeah. And I, and I, I remember just coming up with little things like, um, like curse words are so great for world building because it just says so much about like this, the world that you're in. I don't know. Like, cause I, I made up all these curse words that aren't like modern curse words and they just add so much like whimsy and just a little something that's a little bit different, but it's still fun, but still recognizable, and you still know it's a curse word because they, like, say it's a curse... You know, like, so... What are, can you was, give me
0: an example of one of your made-up curse words?
1: <laughs> so, probably my favorite one is, is, uh, is Great Galloping Thunder Turtles. <laughs> which I stole from... Great Galloping Thunder Turtles! <laughs> I, I stole from Louisa May Alcott. Uh, in, Amazing! In, uh, in uh, Little Men, somebody says... It says thunder turtles and i was like okay well i really love that so i'm just gonna totally steal it and so uh, so i added my great galloping thunder turtles and so everybody loves saying it now at rehearsal <laughs> and um and it just adds like this thing and you're like what is a thunder turtle where you know why is it galloping where's is is this is like a mythical creature and like and so it's just sort of fun to like have it have this world spring forth from just like small things i think
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You cited Louisa May Alcott. Yes. Who are some of your other, uh, inspiration? Where do you find inspiration from both, um, in story and in writing?
1: Uh, well, let's see. Um, well, I'm total, I'm a total, uh, anime freak. So I love anime. So I get a lot of, um, inspiration from that. I think, I always have these, like, really big dramatic stories, so I'm always kind of, like, drawn to that. But then humor, too. It's sort Um weird. Uh, I'm also... Right now, I'm really into samurai movies, so uh, Kurosawa has been great. Um, uh, a, a, not a writer that I love is uh, Patrick Ness, who does YA writing, as well as adult writing, but he's mostly known for... Um, YA writing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, oh, I'm also into like space operas right now.
0: <laughs> space operas? Yeah. I didn't know that was a
1: thing. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, a it's like the space soap opera kind of thing. So like, um, so I was watching this show, uh, um, Killjoys on sci-fi, <laughs> which was last year. I binged it on the on demand and it was so great. It's about bounty hunters and uh, and these, like, they have these, like, problems, and then they have to go and do the bounties, and, like, <laughs> they're flying around, and there's space, and it's, like, super dramatic, and it's just, like, I don't know, there's something about, like, space, and, like, and, like, this sort of cowboy Old West thing, like a Firefly thing, you know, or it's just, yeah. like, the genre of mashing, again, again with the mashing. Um, mashing love mess. The love mess. Yeah, it's Yeah,
0: it's good. I love everything.
1: I love all that stuff, so... So, yeah, I'm really into that.
0: so okay. see what I'm picking up from from talking to you is there there's great power in creating new worlds that maybe subvert sort of the power structures that we have in this one.
1: yes, it's, do you find that I do, and i I think it's interesting that um, um i I've kind of I'm kind of like. I don't really do the. I don't do the race play because I'm, I'm just not that interested in it, and it doesn't. It's not something that speaks to me. So I'm not always like, oh, what about being Korean? What do we talk about that? I'm like, ah, I'm so Korean. how would
0: you define for some for our listeners? How would you define a race play?
1: I feel like a race play is something where it's like you. It the theme is race, the story is race based, and it's about um investigating it or talking about it or, and I, I don't know. It's just not something that's ever been, I know that's terrible. I'm a terrible Asian American playwright, but it's,
0: okay. <laughs> I, I would not say that, but I think it's important. I think it's important that folks listen to this. That yeah. You want to write the stories in universes and worlds that you create and you want to bring in diverse actors to play around and be whoever the hell they want.
1: Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think the interesting thing, too, was even with Clocker Professor, I was talking to somebody about it, and I was like, oh, this is a total identity play. It's about, like, they have this cloning thing, and, like, if you're a clone, does that make you not a person? And, and, and you know, do you have expectations built upon you by your parents? And So it's a total identity play, but it's not a race play. So I feel like that was my pseudo <laughs> race play, in a way, of, like find it, think like thinking understanding yourself as a person and like who you are as an individual and like what makes you do you get to decide who you get to be right kind of thing and i think I, that's something i'm really drawn to versus the like well i'm korean so i have to be korean in every way because my blood tells me i need to do this and i'm like i don't really feel like i don't really feel that that's a thing for me but i know that's not true for a lot of people and i i i value <laughs> I value the other plays that like talk about it, but I just it's not something I'm personally like invested in. So I think I just do things my own way. I think I just think about questions in a different way, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What's it like producing a play that you've written?
1: Oh jeez. Okay, well I'm I'm very lucky in that I have um two other awesome producers with me, uh, Roger Tang and Main Wen. And we've been producing together for a while now and um and we're good because we have like our things that we do really well so we we know like what's
0: your wheelhouse as a producer
1: so my wheelhouse is um is uh, more of the creative side so i handle like making the text all interesting and like doing the the writing of the you know the press releases well, actually usually roger writes them and then i edit them and then- <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have our little like back and forth that we yeah. do, and usually I run the Kickstarter that we have, which um, will be over by the time this podcast is. But congratulations, finished, but we as did, right
0: now you've hit the goal. We have hit the goal, going into stretch
1: goal mode. Yeah. So, so thank you very much. Congratulations! I know we're so excited about that. So um, yeah, to do what I do, um, and then we just really—it's great having three three people who can rely on each other to do a show because i don't know how people do it by themselves honestly it's it's a, it's a terrible job <laughs> producing is a terrible job thankless job. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so and it's like nobody knows what you do and you're like you have to pay for everything and you know you have to make sure everybody's happy and that there's toilet paper and you know like it's <gasps> this whole thing and people have misconception that producing theater is glamorous and it's... I know. We're sitting in our, like, office counting money and, like, cackling <laughs> and smoking cigars and that's totally not... That's totally not what happens. <laughs> no. It's more like finding
0: finding free Wi-Fi at a coffee shop and... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Trying like, to
0: make a, a beautiful production out of nothing.
1: Out of cardboard and yeah. paste. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So... What are some of the lessons you've learned from... So how long have you been producing?
1: Um, much cheaper. So, uh, before we started doing the shows, I was helping to produce the sketch shows. So, oh my goodness, maybe like eight years or so. Sketch, sketches is like a little bit different than producing sure. plays. Because sketch you can do anywhere. And, you know, you just show up and like... No sets. Like, no you. sets. And you got to make sure you have enough rubber chickens and like... <laughs> and like toy guns and you're fine you I know there's
0: so many quotable <laughs> moments from this podcast already and we're like maybe halfway done this is amazing not
1: rubber chickens everyone yeah that's sketch for you make sure that everybody has a rubber chicken um but with the play producing it's definitely like oh things have to be I don't know it's there's a little more pressure I think but I really feel like our team is has, has learned a lot of lessons over the years and we are really jiving we jive well So you guys are awesome. Thanks, Roger and May, for being awesome. Let's talk about the Theater Off Jackson space
0: a little bit. Oh, yeah. I love that space. Oh, yeah. Why did you decide to produce this show in that space?
1: Uh, Well, we have a a great relationship with Theater Off Jackson. They're kind of our unofficial home base. Um, They're really, um, especially for Asian American theater, That was where the old Northwest Asian American Theater was, and so they have a relationship with um, a lot of the groups in town already. So we've done sketch there before, and we did um, several of the Porpoise Productions plays there before. And Patty is Patty and the team; they're so great and they're so welcoming, and we just know where everything is, and we know you know (laughs) it's so comfortable. We were at Twelfth Avenue Arts last year, and it which was also great, but it was really intimidating because it was so big and it was so new and, like, we didn't know where the light switches were and <laughs> where's the mop? I don't know, you know, and so so that was, like, its own little stress, but coming back to Theodore of Jackson is, like, ah, you know, like... Feels like home. Comfy pajamas and, yeah, I mean, we can really, like, concentrate on, like, putting this great show on and um, the space is also going to work really well with the play because... The play takes place in a underground gambling club. And so
0: that it's. The place sounds so sexy. It Keep is going. a super sexy, badass <laughs> play.
1: And so it's like the back room of this like underground gambling club. And so the Jackson, you know, you go down the stairs right. and, it's, and it's like international districts. It's already a little bit mysterious. And like, you know, you go down the stairs and you're in the secret space. And then the, the theater, it's like roomy, but it's, it feels cozy and so you're kind of in the action and so I think it's really going to work awesome with our.
0: So if you were curating someone's evening,
1: mm-hmm. they're
0: going to come see a hand of talents. Where are you going to send them for, what are a couple of places you might send them for dinner beforehand?
1: Oh, I thought about this question before I got, this <laughs> I'm glad you asked me. <laughs> Um, let's see. Well, I, we always enjoy world pizza, which is around the corner and they do pizza by the slice, and it's so great because we just run over there and get pizza. We could go, we have pizza like so much during tech, so they're great. And they have coffee, which is also really important. Um, uh, I also uh, Eastern Cafe is a great uh, place for coffee and crepes. They have giant crepes, um, and then um, I like uh, Gossip for bubble tea. Which is on the corner, around the corner there. Um, and then a personal favorite, I, uh, Red Lantern. I like Red Lantern. Oh yeah, yeah on Jackson. That place is good, and uh, and you can always hit a Wajimaya food court because they have everything. Fun too,
0: isn't it? Yeah,
1: there is so many good places to eat. So you can just make a total fun evening out of dinner and a show, or you can do a show and dinner because everything's open late. So. Yeah, it's great. You're coming. You're going to bring five or six of your friends. Okay, you are. people? And, you're going to, and we have, a. am just going to plug this real quick, but we have this great double date deal. Tell me all about it. Which is, let me look at the thing. Oh, so it's four advanced tickets for $50. So you can bring four people for $50 that? and you save money. And it doesn't have to be a date. It could just be four people, friends. I think I can do math. That's less than $15 a ticket. It is. It is. So it's it's a really good deal for groups. Because awesome. we want people to come out and have fun. That's the other thing. Our shows are fun. And that's, like, number one for us.
0: Well, it seems... What, I, what I'm sort of... I'm just becoming a really big fan of Porkfield Productions before even having seen a production of theirs. Wow. Because it seems like, okay, black and white diversity commitment. I shouldn't say black and white. But, like, an out clearly outlined commitment yep. to diversity in casting number one commitment to fun commitment to fun yes number two and then what i loved about reading about your kickstarter the stretch goals uh are all about funding accessibility to the show yeah can you talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah uh so uh right now our stretch goal is uh four thousand dollars and um we want to be able to offer ten dollar tickets to our matinee um and then we started doing a matinee um just to try it out a lot of People in town don't do matinee. French theaters don't do matinee. But um, we found that, like, the matinee is great for people who can't go out at night or it's too um, hard for them to go out at night or they it's just, you know, whatever. It's hard to go out. You know, not everybody can pick up and go out on a Friday, Saturday night. So having, like, a daytime show available has been really great for reaching out to those people. And, and um, I don't know. We're really, like... Grateful for audiences. Like we want you to come. We want you to have a great time. We want you to be comfortable. We want to make it easy for you because it's hard to go out. Like I know, I you know, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the thing is like, okay, where am I gonna where am I gonna park? Yeah, I want to go somewhere to eat that's within walking distance of the show, but I want it to be yummy and awesome, but not too expensive. And then because once and then I mean, I I don't have children, but I have plenty of friends who do have children.
1: We have to pay the babysitter. Yes.
0: It's a whole yeah. thing, it's or husband. you don't want to take the
1: bus at night, you know? Accessibility like accessibility becomes really important. Yeah, yeah,
0: because it shouldn't just be one kind of audience member who can come and see your show.
1: Right, right. We definitely want to respect our audience, and like we love them. I mean, that's why we're doing this, you know? <laughs> like, please come and have a great time. We want you to have a great time. We want it to be easy for you, so we're trying to really make sure that that happens in whatever way we can. But yeah. you know.
0: What's up next for you beyond this show for both you personally as an artist and then Porkfield Productions?
1: Oh, jeez. Um, so Porkfield, um, we usually produce maybe one show a year. So A lot of rest. After yeah, <laughs> so we're going to take a little rest. Um, but we, what we do have coming up is um, there's a National Asian American Theater Conference in Ashland in October. Wow. So Porkfield will be going down... There to represent because Seattle has a lot of Asian American theater and we're sort of the closest-ish to Ashland. It's in Ashland, Oregon. Right. Um, so we're going to go down there in a big group and and have a party and, like, hang out and do stuff. Um, and then I'm trying to write a new play this year and I'm, I'm thinking about doing some kind of... I've been thinking about the samurai buddy cop kind of story, but I... Only, wow but i don't amazing. know and i'm also like really in, i've been into horror lately so like like scary horror not campy horror because um another one of my inspirations who i forgot to mention is um lovecraft, hp lovecraft so I'm, oh, yeah i'm super into like creepy horror not like hacking body parts off horror but like super creepy dread horror so i'm thinking i'm working that in somehow so i'm gonna try to And I'm also in a space opera, so I don't know. It could be like a samurai, buddy cop, space opera horror.
0: I just have no (laughs) words for how amazing you are. This is incredible. (laughs) Uh, We were talking a little bit before we started recording about American Horror Story. Yeah. Uh, And I just want to sort of... Hopefully it's not overreaching to draw a parallel uh, from... It almost seems like Poor Field Productions is taking uh, some of the best parts of these... uh, what I like, what I like about American Horror Story is it's sort of a repertory theater. Some company you see some of the same actors playing different characters from season to season, but each season stands alone. But the fan base is so enthusiastic about it that they're going to come back season after season, and it sort of seems like theater can take a little bit of a note from that, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the other thing too about American Horror Story is that they have very subtle, like each story is its own enclosed thing, but I think they're all in the same universe. Like, right. they have, like, little hints of, like... Or some chems character show up, and they're, like, from the other... From the past season, and then it's like, oh, it's, like, all the same universe. And that's what I... I think it's great because it feels like it's in this, like, crazy alternate horror world, but it's also... It follows its own rules, I guess. And I... I, and I do appreciate that each season ends. <laughs> and it doesn't, like, keep... It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like, here's the story. Okay, everybody's dead. Or alive, whatever. You know, and then that's the end. And then we can start over again fresh. I I really like having an ending. I think that's important for a good story. It's a good story. You got to stick to ending, right? Yeah. Like, or else they're like, why did I watch this? Because the ending is terrible. Like, you got to stick to ending to make it work. <laughs> That's the playwriting 101. (laughs) Maybe like stick to ending.
0: This is a good good (laughs) segue because I wanted to sort of um, wind down our time together with any advice you have for playwrights or producers since you have experience doing both.
1: uh, Let's see. Um, Well, uh, one thing I, I think is important as a playwright is to go see plays. Like see as many plays as you can, even terrible plays. Terrible plays are actually great because then you can be like, wow, that was terrible, and then you go, why was it terrible? How can you fix this? And then fixing it in your brain helps you learn what you want to do for your own work. Um, the other thing I would say is to is to is to make plays, help make plays, volunteer, do something that you gives you another perspective on on theater because. Um, the other thing I do is, um, lighting design Oh, and I also do props sometimes I just do a little bit of everything and, and, um, having a background as a lighting designer has been super helpful for me as a playwright, weirdly, because like now I think about the show as a whole and not just like, oh, it's sort of this like abstract story that's, that will get figured out by somebody else. Like in my brain, I'm already like, okay, can we do... I don't know about, you know, like I think about transitions and I think about like how, how the audience going to experience this as like a whole finished product versus just my one little part in it. And I think that as a playwright, it's really important to like understand that there's so many other things happening that go to make the play that you that you want to think about that when you're writing because it'll make it more satisfying for you, I think or to be to come to life in a way that you fully realize versus like, oh, wait, I didn't realize that was going to be like that or, you know, something like that. Um, and also find people that you want to work with and that you love and then and work with them and keep them close to you <laughs> because, you know, we, we're, not, we're not doing this for the money. I mean, I'm not, I guess. Very I'm, few of us. I know.
0: I don't know if <laughs> any of us in Seattle French Theater are doing it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a unique passion that we have. Yes.
1: A, a passion for... <laughs> for Self- the
0: arts. Self-punishment? Yeah, oh that's God. what you, I was going to say. You said the arts and I said self-punishment.
1: <laughs> I was thinking self-punishment, but I didn't say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I I feel like we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this for the glory. You know, like, you do this because, you know, I, I do it because I want to have a great time with people that I enjoy and make something cool and, like... Share it with people and and so find people that you enjoy working with and that you trust and that have the same vision as you, and then stay with them, like hold them close to you lovingly
0: well I think uh, I, yeah I, I mean I say self punishment with a lot of yeah I mean I have a lot of reverence for theater, and I think for me personally it's about having having a chosen family yes and and making connections with people both on and off stage both. The folks you're working with to make the show happen, but then the temporal experience that the audience, I mean, that's two yeah. hours where they're hopefully not on your phone, yeah. right? Where you're <laughs> sitting in the dark with strangers, yeah, experiencing something and maybe finding a little bit more about what it means to be a human being. Yeah. And how... It's one of the most magical things I think that we still get to do in this world.
1: Yeah, and and that it's over when it's over, it's done. Like that show will never happen again the same way, you know. So it's like, it's like life, you know. It's like you gotta experience it while it's happening. It's gonna be, it's gonna be gone. Like you need to, like you can't just play it again, you know. Like on the on the TV, it's like that's it. You can't DVR theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean that's the thing. Two people are always like, oh, what well, can I watch it on? you know, YouTube or something. And you're like, no, it's not the same. You can't, you can't feel that thing that's happening when it's like, this is the show and you're here now and now it's done. So you better just be here now. You have to be here now. You know, like, I think that that's like, I'm totally ranting. Good I'm exercise my- present moment.
0: I, I know. And I, what I like to do is I like to, I like to uh, wave my arms and then like say, dear listeners, I'm waving my arms right now. So please picture me doing that because you cannot see it. I, I you can hear
1: it in my voice. <laughs> you can <winging>, hear <laughs> it. Gesticulating
0: a lot. Um, I know that we're talking about sticking the ending, so now I'm like, how the hell are we gonna stick this ending? Because 'Cause we're getting close to the end of our time. Oh. Could we get could we get maybe a, one of your favorite lines from the play? Um oh, other, than, one of
1: my other than the Thunder Turtles, because that was pretty amazing. Um Uh, okay. So, so I don't know why I'm thinking about this line because maybe we were just talking about it, but, um, so Wilhelmina, who's the main character is about to do something terrible and her friend Lawrence is in the room and she says, you best cover your eyes, Lawrence. (laughs) I just
0: got shivers. You better cover your eyes. Well, dear listeners, you don't want to cover your eyes because you will need them to visit uh, Porkfield.com on the internet and then also to go to Facebook and look up Porkfield Productions to see production photos and all sorts of engaging content and most importantly to buy your tickets yes. to A Hand of Talons which runs mm, I have it here. here April 29th through May 21st yes. at Theatre Off Jackson yeah. Maggie Lee you are a delight. You are a delight as well thank you. Thanks. Thank you.